0: Today, as we celebrate Father's Day, I would like to take the time to, again, look at our Heavenly Father and celebrate Him. And i like to look at a story that doesn't only reveal to us who God is, but also reveals to us who we are, and it reveals to us our desperate need of His great salvation. I want to repeat that again. Today, as we look at Luke 15, Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, I want to talk to you about a story that reveals to us not only who God is but reveals to us who we are and our desperate need of his great salvation. There's a book by Timothy Keller called The Prodigal God. And in it, he makes a claim that when we read this parable, this story that Jesus uses to describe certain things to those who surround him, that we are actually getting a picture of the entire gospel of the heart of the Father and his desire to reach men and women uh, to salvation. So if that's the case... And this message is a clear picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this, this is one incredible message that we don't want to miss, that we want to be attentive to. So let's pray that the Father will give us ears to hear and eyes to see today. Father, as we read your word today and dive into your scriptures, we pray for an anointing that would break the yoke and eyes that see and ears that hear. Thank you for an anointing to preach this word and to hear this word, O God. May it change us from the inside out for your glory and for your honor, that the name of Jesus Christ may be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we're going to dive there in Luke chapter 15. It's a story that's commonly called the prodigal son. And verse 11 reads this way. And he said, Uh, that's why you hear the celebration. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, the father said to his older son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What an incredible parable. To better understand this parable and what Jesus means here, we need to understand the context. Number one, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, that there were tax collectors and that there were sinners that were surrounding Jesus. And it says that they were near to Jesus, gathered around Jesus. And it's very clear as you read the Gospels that Jesus did life with sinners. He sat with them. He ate with them. He talked with them. And the Pharisees were making a judgment on, about Jesus because he hung out with sinners. And so this parable, the reason for this parable, is because Jesus is addressing the judgment that the Pharisees are making on his person. It's very interesting to note that Jesus was attested or was known as a man who was at the very least highly prophetic. The Pharisees knew this. Why? Because the Pharisees would have a thought, and Jesus would begin to address what they were thinking. Secondly, they knew that Jesus would commit great miracles. They saw it. They couldn't deny it. They knew that God was working through his life. And here is this man who has greater influence than the Pharisees and the religious establishment over the sinners that surrounded. And they said, look at this man sitting with sinners, with tax collectors, with the worst of the worst jesus is addressing here the pharisees second it's very important to know that to sinners jesus was relevant jesus had a message to the broken to the hurting to the sinners to the outcast he was relevant to them second the subtitle is kind of misleading when you read the subtitle it says the prodigal son and that's only that only highlights part of the story This story is not just about one prodigal son. There are two prodigal sons in the story. A prodigal son who left the home and the other son who stayed in the house, but he was very far from the heart of the father. Third, this story is not really about both of the sons as much as it is about the heavenly father, the father of the story, because it is the father who spends his money. It is the father who hurts the most. It is the father who grieves the most. It is the father who suffers the most. And so he is the center of the story and not necessarily the sons. So these subtitles that are there in the scripture, they're not necessarily the scriptures, but uh, the Bible uh, translators have put them there so that we can remember where certain portions of scriptures are. But it's misleading in a sense that it only talk a prodigal, a prodigal son only points to one character. Let's remove that subtitle and read that scripture without it, and we see something much bigger than just one prodigal son. Third, the story could be called prodigal God, because prodigal, by definition, means someone who lavishly gives. Someone who lavishly, without reserve, gives what they have. It's almost like a reckless giving, someone who gives without thinking of the cost, and no one gives more in this story more than God, more than the Father. The Father, again, gives of his resources, he gives of his land, he gives what he has uh, to his kids. Okay, as we move forward, the son who asked for his inheritance, the son who asked for his inheritance is basically saying to his father this, Dad I wish that you were dead so that I can have my inheritance and go on with my life. To go to your father in an Eastern culture and to say to him, why don't you give me my inheritance so that I can go and live my life? You're basically saying, I wish that you would just die so that I can have what belongs to me and I can go and live my own life. You see, this is not just a private conversation that happened in that living room. For the father to uh, re- give the, the son's wish, number one, he has to recognize, my son really wishes that I would not be a part of his life. He prefers me dead. Secondly, in order for the father to actually give him the inheritance, the father would have to sell his property. Back in Eastern culture, property really mattered. When God gave you a land, that land was a part of you and a part of your identity. So when that man began to give his uh, uh, the inheritance of his son, he had to go in the public and sell what belonged to him in order to fulfill the son's wishes, which in turn means the entire community knew that the son had shamed his father this way. This is, this is the great dishonor that's, that this son has bestowed on his father. This would cost his father his reputation. The, law, the land, again, was a part of a person's identity back in those days, like it is today when you look at the Palestinian-Israeli conflict that exists with the land today. And the father though, did according to the wishes of the younger son and divided the land between them. Another point. The son who left gets hit by reality. Every one of us need a reality check once in a while. Can I get a witness? Once, but just once in a while, not twice, and not three times, just... He gets hit by reality. He has all this money. He has all this inheritance. And then famine strikes. Life happens. And he wastes all his money. The Bible says that he squanders it. And so he's so bankrupt, he has so little, that he has to sell himself as a servant. He is so hungry that the Bible says that he wishes that he could eat what the pigs were eating. Now, for some reason, when I read this story before, I would read it as if he were eating what the pigs were eating. No, the Bible says that he wished he could, because he had nothing to eat. Now, that's the kind of desperation that he finds himself in. And then all of a sudden, light bulb comes on, you know? It was better at my father's house. (laughs) You know, I say this very reverently, but I thank God for the sober moments he allows to happen in our lives that draws back to the father I say that very soberly very reverently so he has this sober thought he says it's better for me to be with my father and he starts to think clearly and he begins to think about this dialogue what am I going to do when I see my father he begins to prepare his sermon because he's going to face his father. And reality is, the way he left his father and what he asked his father to do, in that culture, he could have been beat to death. He, he, could, he could have suffered greatly. But his father was very gracious, suffered the entire shame of his son's actions, let him go, and now the son is going to come back to meet this father. So he begins to prepare this sermon, prepare what he's going to say to his dad. And the Bible tells us, it's very interesting that at the distant sight of this lost son that's coming back, the Bible tells us that when the father notices from afar that his son is coming, get this, the father runs toward the son. That's, well, that's serious right there. The next question is, Why is the father running toward the son? What's the disposition of the father? You know, where I grew up, when your mama said, I brought you into this world and I can take you out, she meant it. And then they would tell stories about it to the neighbors. Yes, she did. She did that to me. She said she was going to do this. So I did that to her. "Mm, Good for you. Come here. Don't you ever do that to your mama. I mean, you get beat, right? I remember getting beat by everybody. When When I misbehaved. The teacher would give me a whooping, then the lady who walked me home from school would give me a whooping, and then my mother would give me a whooping, and then I got to my da- I had to wait for my dad to come home. By that time, I said goodbye to all my siblings. <laughs> like, I love you. You're my favorite sister. I won't see you again, right? But one time, my dad didn't even touch me because I was just afraid to death. He said, boy, just go to your room, right? You know, but you know, in certain cultures, your dad's running toward, the father's running towards the son. I can't imagine what the son must have been thinking. As the father is running toward him. But what does the father do? The father, number one, feels compassion for his son. Number two, the father embraces the son. Number three, the father kissed his son. Can you imagine the shock? I want you to just picture the shock. And after the shock, the son's tries to begin to communicate what he's going to communicate. Well, I, I'm not even, and he realizes, uh-oh, I not only sin against my father, I sin against God. I've sinned against heaven and against you. And in the middle of his speech, before he can get done, his father says, stop, stop. bring me my robe, bring me my ring, go kill the cow we're celebrating today. Can you imagine the shock? Let me tell you what's happening here here comes the son back to this community. The father has been waiting at the door for the sight of his son to come so that he can run toward his son. The community is watching. He says to his son today, I'm going to place my robe on you, my ring on you. We're going to kill this calf and we're going to celebrate. There's something that Eastern culture does right. They celebrate in community. Celebration is not just an intimate thing. Everybody celebrates. The father basically says, We're throwing a block party up in here. We're going to enjoy ourselves because my son who was dead is now alive. He who was lost is now found. And the son's eyes must have been like, But dad, I brought you shame by taking what belonged to you. I wish you dead. The community saw me wish you dead. I brought you great dishonor, but now you want to honor and bless me? I'm not worthy. But the dad does it anyway. Puts his robe on him, put his ring on on him, kills the calf, and the entire town begins to celebrate with the father that the lost son is found. Now there's somebody who's not celebrating, and that's the older son. And when this all happens, the older son's true heart begins to manifest. And I want to just tell you here, let me just pause here. When you begin to serve the Lord and walk with the Lord, the Lord will begin to deal with your heart. And here's the reality about our hearts. There are some putrid, disgusting, corrupt things in our hearts, in each and every one of us. And because the Lord loves us, he doesn't allow us to live with those things in our hearts. And oftentimes, he allows us to encounter certain things to bring that to the surface, and it's manifested. And every time it's manifested, it's ugly. It's ugly. And when that happens, when that moment in your life happens, remember, that's the grace of God to give you an opportunity to give it to him and be whole. I'm going to walk away from that one. The older son, his true heart is made manifest. He heard the good news, and he was furious. And I want you to notice here, he was furious, but before this moment, he was very, very bitter. There was bitterness at the core, and this just provided an opportunity for that bitterness to blow up, to come out. Now, Why is he so upset? Because he saw his younger brother coming back as if it were a celebration at his own expense. Can you picture this. He left. He took his inheritance with him. Why are, you, why are you celebrating him? If you gave him what he desired and I stayed in this house, that ring is mine. That robe is mine. That property is mine. That calf is mine. How dare you? Give that to him. Basically, he's saying, I've been waiting for you to die so that I can take the things that rightly belong to me. And the right intentions come out. He says, I've been obeying all of your commands. I've I've honored you and I've done all these things. And you've not even given me one thing so that I can celebrate with my friends. What's the intention here? I've been doing all these commands not because I wanted to, but because I can't wait to get what you'll give me, and you haven't even given me something so that I can celebrate, not with you because I don't care about you. I want to celebrate with my friends. Do you see all that? So the son had no interest for the father's heart, had no interest that his father's heart was completely broken and that his father's heart was waiting at the door, waiting at the window, just waiting to get a glimpse of his prodigal son that had left. Interesting enough, the son was in the house and he was just as lost as the other one. As he's in the house or as the father, uh, before he goes into the house, the son is outside and he dishonors his father. And this is how he dishonors him. Everybody is celebrating Everybody's having a good time, and the son comes, and he stays outside. He says, I will not celebrate. In other words, I will now dishonor you before the community. Here is the father, heartbroken by one son, and now heartbroken by the other. And he goes to the son, and does he shame the son like he rightly deserves? No, what does he do? He pleads. He says, son, why don't you celebrate with me? Why don't you rejoice with me? This son that was dead is now alive. By the way, when the son, the first son said, I wish you dead so that I can live my life, and he walked out the door, the only person that died was the son that walked out that door. Not the father. The father was very much alive, but spiritually his son died. But now here this older son didn't want anything to do with the celebration. And The story ends this way. The father says to the son, everything that I have is yours. I don't understand everything that I have is yours, but we should celebrate because your son that was dead is alive. He that was lost is now found. And here in this story, we don't find the older son repenting. And the reason why the story ends so abruptly and we don't see the older son repenting is because the older son is the Pharisee in the story. And Jesus is basically saying, don't you see Don't you see the greatness of God's love that he does reach the prostitute and he does reach the addict and he does reach the drunkards and the tax collectors and he's bringing them in and he's showing them mercy. And don't you see God's goodness and grace? And now God's goodness is here for you because you're in the house, but you're lost. You've been in the church and you're a member and you're paying your tithe and you experience my power and my presence, but your heart is so far from me. Will you also bring me joy by repenting and turning to me? And the question remained. And the Pharisees had a decision to make. So what do we see in this portion of Scripture? What is the application from this portion of Scripture? Number one, you can be completely outside of the kingdom. And by the grace of God, you can come completely in. I want to repeat that again. You can be completely outside of the kingdom of God, but by the grace of God, you can come right in. I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe you've declared God to be dead in your heart. Maybe you have lived your life exactly how you wanted. Maybe you feel your sins are so great that you're not worthy of God's great salvation, but if today you recognize that you are in need of a Savior, that you're in need of mercy, you recognize that you need to be cleansed of your sins, I don't care what you've done, where you've been, the moment that you turn towards that reality that you're in need of God, you'll find the Father in heaven running toward you with grace to embrace you, to show you compassion, to show you mercy, to dress you with his robe, to put his ring on you, to let you know that you belong to him. doesn't matter where you're at. And when he brings you in, he's not okay with your speech about being a servant. Well, I'm not worthy, so I'm just going to serve. I'm just going to stay far from God. He says, you're going to do more than serve. You're going to get to serve. But you're my son. You're my daughter. You sit at the table with me. And when people look at you, because you have my robe and my ring and my blessing, because my blood is poured over you. When people look at you, when demons look at you, when angels look at you, they don't look at you. They see me. Because I became sin who knew no sin so that you would be my righteousness. You will be my reflection. So today, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you find yourself, but there's a father whose eyes are looking toward your direction, waiting at the door, waiting for you to turn, so that he can run right to you with his blessings. You can be completely out and come in. Number two, you can be in the house and be completely out. You can be in the house and be completely out. This brother, the other prodigal, he was in the house, but he didn't have his heart the heart of the father. He didn't have the interest of the father. How can you say you know the father and you love the father when the father's heart's been broken all these years and you see his greatest joy come to him and you can't celebrate? Instead, you're filled with bitterness. Why? Because his desire was for what belonged to his father, not for the heart of the father. And I want us to ask ourselves some very deep very difficult questions. We have to ask ourselves, number one, are we we serving God for what he can give or what he gives, or are we serving him because we love him? What is your intention for serving the Lord today? Are you serving God because you love him, or are you serving him because you want to go to heaven? Don't get me wrong, heaven is great. I look forward to being there. Don't get me wrong. I look forward to being with the saints. I want to ask David some questions. I want to talk to Elijah, right? I want to know how God created things. I can't wait to hang out with the saints. There are some saints that I love that went to be with Jesus before me. I want to see them again, but I want the Father more than I want anything else. Let me ask you another question. Do we think that we deserve a good life because we're good moral Christians? That's what the son believed. He said, I've lived a good moral life. I've done everything that I needed to do to be obedient to you. You, I deserve for you to give me better. Do we live, maybe this will help us discern whether we're in this place. Do we live constantly wondering, why does that person have it that way? And I have to struggle like this when I've been obedient to God. Let me tell you something. God owes you nothing. It is his grace that we're here alive today. And no matter who you are or what you believe, the rain falls on the good and the bad. Sickness, troubles, storms. When my mother-in-law, Miss Charlotte, was battling with dementia, I refused it. How is this possible, a woman of God who served you for so many years? It was easy to be bitter. When my youth pastor passed away, when he had hepatitis C with his eyes completely yellow and he stood behind the pulpit last time he preached and he said, Jehovah God is Rapha, he is healer even if he doesn't heal me. And we prayed and fasted for days for his healing and God took him anyway. I was angry. I was frustrated. So what about your promises now? Where is this God who heals now? Let me tell you something. God is sovereign. He is in control, and he can do whatever he pleases. We pray according to his promises, but we know that he is in control. Let me say this. It is more dangerous to be the older brother than the younger brother. And I'll tell you why. Because the older brother thinks that God owes him something. The older brother thinks that he's more righteous than the younger brother because he's in the house. And more dangerous because the older brother, if he could, will keep the younger brother out from seeing the father. It's no surprise today that there are many people who say, I don't want to go to church. Oftentimes they're making an excuse. But there is the truth that there are some younger brothers, some people who don't know Jesus yet who say, I don't come to church. Why? There's an older brother at the door who doesn't let me in. This guy, this older brother is putrid. He's judgmental. He's bitter. He's constantly thinking that things aren't working out for him and constantly thinking God is not there for me. He's forgotten me. This guy is constantly dealing with great levels of of bitterness and vengeance and resentfulness. And you know why I know that? Because I am the older brother. I'm the older brother. I'm him. And every day i got to wake up and put me on the cross because my religious spirit and my selfishness will get in the way of the heart of the Father. I know this older brother. I know who he is. He at times thinks that he's arrived. He at times thinks that he has no issues. He at times thinks that he has no strongholds. He at times thinks that his works make him righteous. And he gets in the way of the heart of the father. I know him. I know him better than I know the younger son. But I got to tell you something else. The father loves you. The father loves you. I don't, I don't know if you're the older brother or the younger brother. It doesn't matter. The father loves you this morning. And he's standing at the door saying, if you want to return to me, here I am. If you're outside of the house and you want to return to me, here I am. If you're in the house and you're outside of me, here I am. The father loves you. And he's looking for an opportunity to pour out his grace on you. He loves you if you're far. He loves you if you're near. He's waiting to see you turn around. He will run after you with his blessings in his hand. He is waiting to lavish you with his blessings as you surrender, and he is reaching out to you. Would you stand with me today? I need you to get this picture because it's the reality. The father is at the door waiting for your return. His heart is broken. We are made in the image of God. Our heart breaks and we are wicked and and sinful. Don't you think that the father heart, his heart breaks for you? Don't you think that the Father, His heart breaks for you? The fact that you're in the house and you're doing all the right things in the house, yet your heart's far from Him? It's like those soldiers who were right at the feet of Jesus, casting lots for His garments for what they could get from Jesus, as opposed to worshiping Him for who He is. At the feet of the King for the wrong purposes. Are you at the house today at the feet of the King for the wrong purposes? Don't you think the Father's heart breaks for you? Oh, if you don't know Him and you've declared God dead in your heart, His heart breaks for you. And He's waiting for you with open arms this morning. Would you surrender to Him today? Would you say yes to the love of the Father? I want to celebrate with you. I want to celebrate your return to the Father I want to celebrate God's great salvation over you. Let you know that you belong. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your grace. Your grace that reaches that sinner, that my sinning brother that's outside of the house. And I thank you for your grace that reaches the bitter broken person that I am God said to Cain, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Of course you are, Cain. That's your brother. What do you mean? Why didn't the older son spend all he had to get the son back, the other son back? Because his heart was so far from the father. Repentance has to begin with us, church. Church. Either we're going to be a church that has the heart of Jesus or we're going to be religious and lost. If you hear it today and you say, hey, pastor, you're not alone. I'm that older brother and I repent. I want to have the right heart. I want to care about the heart of the Father. I-, I ask the Lord to cleanse me from within. If that's you, would you come to the altar right now? Would you join me right now? Say as the church... Look, I'm already here at the altar. I'm already confessing before you. You're saying, I don't want to live my life lost in the house. I don't want to live blind in the house. I don't want to live deaf in the house. I don't want to live in the house far from the Father's heart. And I want to repent before God for anyone I judge. For anyone that I thought that was outside of God's reach, I just repent. I say, God, give me a new heart. Because I want to be about your business and I want to be about your heart. If that's you, would you come to the altar right now? Let's pray. Let's just right now before God show our repentance before the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we repent before you. Jesus, we stand before you and we repent. We repent, oh God, and we say, give us the right heart. We don't want to live for what you give. We want to live for you. We want to live to give you the honor that you rightly deserve, oh God. We want to be about, what an, think about it, what an incredible ministry God calls us to, to be the ones who mend the heart of God. Wow. We can be a part of that by bringing his lost children to him. I I can't think of any better ministry. That's you, would you come to the altar right now and say, I, I make a commitment every single day to put the older brother on the cross. That will not be me. Every day I make a commitment to put him on the cross. Would you come up to the altar, let's pray. Okay, now. Church, now, brothers and sisters, you see us up here at the altar, repenting before the Lord, saying yes to the Lord, deal with us. But maybe you're here and you're the younger brother. You walked away from home. You walked away from the Father. You walked away from His mercy and His grace. You took matters into your hands and you're here today realizing that wasn't a good idea. We have no, no stones to throw. We only have a party we want to put up. A party we want to throw for Jesus. We want to have reason to celebrate today. Would you receive our forgive, our repentance? And would you receive the love of the Father and say, Today I turn back to God. Today I turn back to God. I give Him my life. You're not outside of God's reach and mercy. If that's you, would you come to the altar right now? If that's you today. Would you come to the altar right now? Saying, I'm not running away from the Father anymore. I say yes to His love. Amen.